lives. And uh, send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding. It's my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for all those attending, whether they be on this feed or whether they be online. We thank you, Lord. Bless each and every one. Okay. Let me share this real quick. Uh, social media, if you would like to do that, now's the time to do it. Let's see here. Okay, I've accomplished that. Okay, all right. So the, the today um, called Sketch of Experience, it, it touches a little bit on what we read about in earlier chapters um, where El Sister White was talking about people who were sick and uh, were in some of the uh, health institutions and uh, she was talking about many times how in the health institutions, people just kind of lay, lay in bed and don't do anything. And she was convinced um, by the Holy Spirit that people needed to get up and move around and be active instead of inactive. And that will help fight off sickness. And so she starts off this chapter talking about how she had become fully satisfied that her husband who had been suffering from a protracted illness, that as long as he remained inactive, that, that you know, he would not recover well and that he would remain in this extremely feeble condition. And so um, she went against the advice of the church, which I guess was saying, well, you know what, when people are sick, they should just stay in and stay at home and, 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 and not do much of anything. And, and from, the prior chapters that we read, it was she was not, she was not advocating that if people are severely ill, that they not that they get up and start doing things. And there's a there may be a point in some illnesses where you're not able to get up. You don't have the physical strength to get up, or you're so sick you're not steady on your feet, or whatever the case may be. Uh, so she wasn't advocating, you know, right away if you have that kind of a severe illness to get up and start moving around. But she did believe that when you're able to start being somewhat active that it should not be passive activity where you're not moving your limbs and you're not doing anything um, but you're doing things like playing cards and that kind of thing and so um, she's saying very clearly here that she decided contrary to the judgment and advice of the church uh, to go on a tour in northern Michigan with her husband and he was in an extremely feeble condition and it was in the severe cold of winter and um she she decided, she made that that judgment call because she just felt like moral courage and faith in God was what was needed and and to bring her mind to the decision to risk so much and especially since she was standing out there on a on a ledge all by herself because the church just simply didn't agree with her and they were against her for doing that. Um, so uh, in the next paragraph. Um, she begins to talk about how, what? what? What does she begin to talk about in the next paragraph? Anybody? Well, she starts off saying that she has work to do. And mm -hmm. she begins to say that, that, you know, she felt like Satan because of, you know, the lack of 
that he trying to prevent her from working. That was all due to Satan's little entrapment the, on 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 her 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 willing to go out and having to do what God wanted her to do. So she goes on. She says to remain longer from the field seemed to me worse than death. Mm-hmm. And so she says she, that. She, and should we move out, we could but perish. So to her, you know, to stop her from being able to go out and do the will of God, she just rather ha- she just felt like it was compared to death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And she, you know, she wasn't wrong in caring for her husband per se because he was sick at home. But by him being sick at home, that chained her to home also. And so she just felt like that was just the devil's work, keeping them both from going out and, and doing the work of the Lord. And you know, she, but, go ahead. You know, but um, one of the things I'm looking at here is that now when uh, you go to the hospital, most things you're out of the hospital in one day. You know, after you have a baby, even a C-section, they want you to get up and walk within 24 hours. So, you know, this is kind of with her writings and stuff, we can miss the brilliance of God in um, in his instruction to her. If we don't look at like where that was like 1865, 1800s, and mm-hmm. she had that idea. You know, I can remember even being a small girl. Uh, 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 people would go to the hospital, have a baby. You stayed in there for seven days. You know, but not anymore because they've learned that it's best for people to get up and move rather than to stay um, in the bed sick. Well, I I think as far as our modern hospitals, it's an insurance issue. (laughs) But but yes, um, it turns out to be a a good health practice also. But I don't think that's their first concern. (laughs) No, I don't think it's their first concern, but it's still... Um, the wisdom is right there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, um, if you were saying, well, I don't really know if this woman is a prophet or whatever. You can just read stuff like her stands on tobacco and alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. um, and how now today you can't go anywhere in public and smoke. You know, it's not allowed uh, to be inside of buildings and stuff. And everybody's talking about secondhand smoke, et cetera. So, you know, you can just see those things that she said way back then, and now they're being played out now for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Also, was, also was, <clears throat> excuse me, noticing where Patsy had read that it seemed to her staying out of the mission field was worse than death. And I'm thinking that would be the, the uh, type of attitude that we need now, you know, and that people are thinking, wow, we got to get busy you know, to not be out there witnessing for Christ is the worst thing ever. And we have to do what we can uh, so that we can help save souls. But also up above, it was talking about how she ventured out with her husband at, against the advice of the church. And like we always say in our class, discipleship class, we each have to have a connection with God so that his Holy Spirit can speak to us individually because we cannot afford to just go along with the crowd, no matter who the crowd is. So here she uh, heard what the people said, but she had a connection with God that allowed her, and as she said, no small degree of moral courage and faith in God to take that risk. And I think we'll all be called to do more of that as time progresses to 
show that moral courage and faith in God in spite of what others around us may think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot to stand out on a ledge by yourself, you know, and she mm-hmm. talked about the, the, the uh, powers that be in battle. She was mm-hmm. battling against. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so she says they, that she went on to uh, write in Ottawa County, Michigan. And Wright was a, a town, I guess, in Ottawa County, Michigan. And she said that what, what she talked about uh, how her husband withstood the journey. And what did she say about that? He withstood it better than she thought. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And she said he, he, he didn't, basically, he didn't seem no worse off when they got there than when they started out. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing she had feared. And, um, that they stayed at the home of, of, of the Roots uh, a family, the Root family, mm-hmm. and that this family was very kind to them and received them and, you know, cared for them just as if a parent cares for an invalid child. And so apparently they had, they had very strong ties with this family and uh, they were able to go there. Um, so what condition did they find the church in when, when they got to Wright City? Uh, before we go there, I wanted to mention about how they went 90 miles, you know, and we're thinking, oh, 90 miles, that's an hour and a half. I could do that. But you got to right. remember, they were riding in buckboards and wagons and carriages. Mm-hmm. And if you have ridden in one of those, you go a few, like one mile is a journey all by itself. Yeah. There's no suspension. There's no shock absorbing. It's rickety and raggedy and hard. And this guy <laughs> was sick and had to go 90 miles. That's Oh, That's mercy. a long time. And, you know, <laughs> we just blow it off like, oh, it's just 90 miles. No, 90 miles. And here you can only go like three or four miles per hour. That's a long time to be getting rattled around in a wagon. And it was in a snowstorm. Right. Really good of us could have handled oh. that. Right. Hello. Is anyone there? Yes, we're here, Patsy. And I've been kicked out twice. Okay. Oh, All right. What's going on? Sorry about that. Uh, okay. I'm in a different room from the one that is the, the administrator, so I don't know what's going on Okay, there. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of lost on what paragraph we on then. Okay, so we're on the top of paragraph uh, 570.4. Okay, out, we thank found you. Church. And, okay. Uh, 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 Lee, say that, say that again. Uh, when you said... Uh, when they were traveling, you said it was rickety and what? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you ever been in a wagon, it's rickety and raggedy and you just bouncing <laughs> around on oh, boards. They don't even have padding. That's it's right. Rickety, raggedy and jostling all around. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me, my husband and I were in Jamaica and we had gone, um, we had gone ziplining. And on the road back, once we got done, Oh my goodness, the road was so awful. It just mm-hmm. you know, it just jarred your teeth. You know, and and you couldn't really stand up because you wouldn't be you wouldn't remain standing up. That's how bad the ride was. But when you sat mm. down, it was like you said, rickety and raggedy and just oh my goodness, we were bouncing all over the place. And I think that, that was, was the worst ride that, I've ever been on. And that was a vehicle with suspension and seat pads. Well, I imagine doing it without that. Right, right. And it was the, the road was very rocky. The road hadn't been cleared. The road wasn't smooth. It was very rocky. So we were going over all these rocks and everything. It was just a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah and so yeah we have to consider that in their time you know it wasn't it wasn't no smooth riding like in a in a escalator or anything like that no it's probably a two-day ride in a snowstorm uh, yeah uh-huh and so um but she said that there they they commenced their their labors and they said that she said notwithstanding the low state of the church there what did she say about them enjoy the labors of the preachers so seldom that they were hungry for spiritual food. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I can, I can liken that to like a, a, a pastor that has more than one church he has to go to. So some Sabbaths, he's not at our particular church. He may be at one of the other churches that, that he has to pastor at. And so we grow a little, we grow a little, what is the word I want to use? Um, pastor sick sometimes when our pastor's not there all the time with us and he's, you know, cause he has duties at other churches. And so I can imagine that if they had not had a pastor for a long time, that, you know, they were hungry for good spiritual food and good preaching and, you know, a, a good effective leader. And it was um, pointed out too, that the church members had started turning against each other, you know, and the worldly spirit was taking possession of them. So it mm -hmm. kind of lets you know how, uh, people without a, like a ship without a rudder, a congregation without a good pastor, you know, mm -hmm. you tend to just kind of wander around and mm -hmm. go off in your own direction. Yeah. And I think somewhere in here, it says that they did have a first elder that was kind of taking the reins, but evidently that wasn't the same as, you know, a pastor that was, uh, you know, a full-time pastor there. So, um, yeah, they were hungry for spiritual food, even though, like I said, they were, like you said, Lee, they were really um, dissatisfied. The seeds of disunion and dissatisfaction had taken root. Um, and so she says that there they commenced their first effective labors since the sickness of her husband. So I think he had been, I think we read earlier in the same volume that he was sick for a while. And um, so she was effectively chained to the house for a while until she just the lord had spoken to her about you know don't let the invalid just lay you know um let, get them up and moving around because they will get better faster than just laying they get weaker the more they just lay uh, i remember when COVID first hit and they said you know and this was before the vaccine and they said that people were just laying around and you know really sick and they said, but when you lay around, that's what the virus wants. The virus, that gives the virus a chance to really take hold. And so they were saying, if you can get up and move around and do whatever, you know. Um, yeah, kind of, sometimes it can be a thin line. You know, if you're really sick and you try and get up, then you tend to overdo it. And then you end up relapsing even worse. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, you got to be careful. You want right. to get some right. activity, but not too much. Right, right. Yeah. And I think you could be guided by how you're feeling. I mean, if you're feeling like you're getting, you know, worse, then yeah, you certainly should lay back down or whatever. Like I, I remember I was sick. I think I had the flu or something like that. And then mm -hmm. I was getting up to do some walking. And I think we went over to Spanish Lake because I was like feeling it <laughs> mm. and then got out there and got stuck because <laughs> I just mm. ran out of energy, you know, and it was, oh, wow, got to be careful. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but then, you know, so as they commenced their labor, her, here, her husband also, even though it says he was in much weakness, he would speak 30 or 40 minutes uh, in the forenoon, which is, I guess, in the morning of both Sabbath and Sunday. And then uh, she would fill up the rest of the time. So I guess he kind of spoke like Sabbath school time and then she would speak the remaining time um, and fill up the time. And then she would speak about an hour and a half in the afternoon every day. So um, they were working together. And even though he evidently couldn't do as much as he had done in the past, he was a big help to her. And she saw that he was growing what? Stronger and clearer. He is stronger. And more connected in his subjects because apparently he yeah. had not only been physically ill, but his mind was just not in the right place because of his illness. And so he may have had some rambling thoughts or some disconnected thoughts or whatever because of his illness. And so she's saying that clearer definitely is referring to his 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 mental cognitive abilities, you know. Um, but you know, Karen, that's like us when when we're not feeling well and we're trying to study, I find for myself, I don't comprehend as much or I have to read something like three or four times when I'm not feeling that great in order to get the same comprehension that I would have got had I felt better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And certainly there are times, you know, even if, even if we're not particularly sick, but maybe we're just tired, you know, and there are times when we don't get the comprehension that we, we should get out of something. And we may have to, you know, like you said, Patsy, read it two or three times. And, and sometimes we're just distracted, you know, and we can't focus on what we're reading. And that's where prayer comes in, you know, to ask the Lord for, for focus and help to, to, to uh, you know, gain understanding from it. Um. Okay. Um, and she just says that, that she was so grateful. She says her gratitude was beyond expression. She was so grateful that, that her husband seemed to be doing better and that she had been right about, well, the Holy Spirit had been right because that's what had talked to her, spoken to her. The Holy Spirit had spoken to her. And uh, she... Um, was glad and just, you know, happy and thankful, you know, that he was doing better. And um, she said she got up in the church in the congregation and she said for nearly half an hour, she tried with weeping to give utterance to her feelings of gratitude. Uh, uh, and she said the congregation felt this deeply and she felt assured that this was the dawn of better days for her and her husband. So, uh, despite all the opposition she had gotten from her church. She saw, she saw, well, she walked in faith and then her faith was rewarded as a result of her, of that, of moving out in faith. Uh, and let's see, she said, how long did she remain with the Root family? Six weeks. Mm-hmm. And how many times did she speak with the church? And how many times did her husband speak with the church? She spoke 25 times and he spoke 20. Uh, 12, it says 12. 12, I'm sorry, 12. Yeah. Uh -huh. And she said that as she got to know this church better, 
and, and you know, the labors with the church progressed, she said that individual cases began to open to her. And then she began to do what? Write the testimonies for them. Mm -hmm. And now she wrote what, about 100 pages? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she said, um, she commenced to do labor for these persons as they came to the, to the house where they were staying. And uh, she says um, that was some of the, oh, sometimes they went to the people's homes. So they didn't just stay at the home of their host, but sometimes they went to the people's home. But she says more so in the, in the, in the meeting house, which was the house of worship or in the church, she said. And then she said that she found that her husband was a great help to her in the labor that she was doing. And she said that his long experience in the work um, helped. She said uh, just that he had labored with her in the past. And so um, it was, a, all in all, it was a good thing that, that, that she went and he kind of started coming back to himself, so to speak. And you know, that's a good witness for married couples that God has blessed them that they can work together. Because, you know, some people, they're like, you know, especially, you know, whether it's a business, but when you're working together for God, you, you uplift each other as spouse. And other people find, find comfort in that, that they know that both the husband and wife is on one accord in trying to help you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing to see, too, when couples are working together in the Lord. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see to me, you know. Um, and it's, it's wonderful that the Lord can use and, they allow, and the couple allow themselves to be used in that way. All right. Uh, going down to, to paragraph 571.2. She says that what are some of the things that, that they labored to do while they were at the church in Wright City? One of the things I noted, and I know Lakia has spoken about this before too, they were laboring for persons of wealth, you know, people who had some means that they could assist the church in growing. And a lot of times now we feel like that's just terribly wrong, you know, you know but you got to remember both rich and poor need to be saved and need to hear the grace about the salvation of Christ. So there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with um, also doing outreach for people who have uh, money. Mm -hmm. It all belongs to God anyway. Right. Right. And she talks about, um, as far as some of the things they were doing, uh, uh, stewardship leaders, what, what did she say that he, the husband was talking about? Systematic benevolence of the church. Right. <laughs> and she talks, she said, how it should be adopted in all of our churches. Mm -hmm. The efforts resulted in raising the amounts to be paid into the treasury annually. And we might not think $300 is a lot, but I guess in 1866, it was a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was an increase over their tithe, over their tithe goal, so tithe and offering goal. So um, we don't know how you much mind. it was. I'm but, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, we don't know how much of an increase it was percentage-wise, but it was apparently uh, a substantial increase. Yeah, I was going to say that sometimes church members feel like you shouldn't even talk about tithe and offering. You know, it's like 
oh, don't talk about tithing offering. That's just ill-mannered. And why should you bother people about that and leave it up to the Lord? You know, but I think that's part of managing and running the church. You have to have funds to run the church. And where else are you going to get it? You have to ask people and remind them to be honest and faithful in tithe and offering. But I think a lot of times when people don't want to hear it, you have to look at their personal situation and, you know, decide why is it they don't want to hear it? Are they not being faithful? Are they just struggling financially? There's always a reason behind what people say. Plus, uh, really, if you look at that verse, you're cursed with a curse. You know, ultimately, the most important thing is the spiritual life of the person. I've been trying to think about what is cursed with a curse. What does that mean? The first curse is that you don't trust God. And then the second curse is all the stuff that happens is a result of not trusting God. You know, anxiety, depression. You're really not in a relationship with God when you don't trust God. So plus, that is... Hmm. Plus, not to mention the hole that is in your pocket when you're not faithfully returning tithes and offering. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the, you know, that's part of that curse. And, you know, and then it goes on to say, even this whole nation. So you wonder, was God talking about, because we are in the midst of people who don't trust God and won't return tithe and offering, that all of us are at risk of the consequences that's going to happen to this person. So with that being, what I'm thinking about with that is like, because they are not trusting God, then they fall into you know, like arrears in their home or whatever. Now they have to come to the church and then the church has to ha help them out or, you know, um, help them in some way. In other words, we all suffer as a result of, you know, this lack of faith and trust in God. Mm -hmm. That's just my, I was just wondering, does that, is that what it's saying when it says you, um, you're cursed with a curse, even this whole nation, because you have robbed me. Is he saying the whole nation robbed him or that because there are those who don't trust him, the whole nation is suffering under this? Well, let's, 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 let's unpack that for just a quick minute. So what about the Korah's rebellion? Was it just the ones that um, did it or was it them and their families that were punished, burnt up with fire? Or let's talk about uh, Aiken. Was it just mm -hmm. him? that did it or did his whole family perish mm -hmm. the whole family in both cases yeah you know, we all suffer as we result. even like if you look at samson because he didn't stand up and take his place as he was supposed to be doing and he you know was disobedient to god his nation continued to suffer they didn't have to suffer as long as they did because he was not standing up and doing what god had ordained him to do mm -hmm. But I kind of look at it in, in, in our day and time. If we see a brother and sister that's suffering and we just say to ourselves, well, it's because of their faith in God is why, you know, they don't have this and that. And that might not be true at all, but we should take it upon ourselves. If we see a brother and sister hungry, we should take it upon ourselves to make sure they got something to eat without going back and criticizing them and doing whatever. Well, I agree with that, that, you know, and it's not necessary to criticize or anything like that. I completely agree that we have, we should support our, you know, our um, fellow members, you know, in church, God, our godly brothers and sisters. I also, my question and my consideration is when people intentionally, I'm not talking about people who don't have and can't, you know, and um, 
I'm not going to say can't give, but they just don't have income. They are not held responsible for a tithe and offering. That's off the table. You know, they don't have income. But when you have it and you choose to do something else with it instead of returning it to God, then, you know, you cannot reap the benefits. He said, oh, so I will pour you out a blessing so much that you'll have, you know, um, no room to receive it. You know, I open the windows of heaven for you and stuff. So it's either kind of, even in that, to me, it's like a, you're just not really trusting in God. We're just not trusting in God. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering how, how does that affect the church at large, you know? Well, I I look at myself right now because of, you know, I'm going through water therapy. Now, I said, I guess I came up with a system that if I pay half of my bills and it's not, and and regardless, the first thing I'm going to look out for is returning my tithe and my offerings. Then whatever I pay on my bills, I just leave it in God's hands, knowing that God knows what my needs are. But I said, you know, I just, I still look at it as, those and then I agree with you. Those it's a difference if you don't have any income coming in, but it's a difference if you have it and say, I'd rather go to the I guess they get ready to start these uh well Black Friday sales or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you and, and, and see and I don't understand that and I guess my understanding is a little different because we have people that instead of paying a little bit on their bills they want to go and, and buy, you know, get all this stuff on sale. And then they say, well, I'm going to go to the church and see if the church can pay my, my gas bill or whatever. But I guess me, I don't feel comfortable asking the church to help me do anything. I, I just that, would rather just take it to the Lord in prayer. Well, you know, and I think if you, um, the church is there to support, to support us. And, you know, if the Lord hasn't put it on your heart yet, to give the mm. church an opportunity to serve him and to express love, because that's what you're giving them, an opportunity when you, you know, asking for, you know, help, a legitimate help and stuff. Um, but yeah, there are people, I remember she's over at Northside, Belinda's mom, she <laughs> said this, and this was the first time I ever heard it. She said, people <clears throat> will buy what they want and beg for what they need. And it's the same thing you're saying that uh, past is that they go out and they buy the stuff, they get their hair done, they get their nails done, and then they turn around and beg for, you know, their rent money and food money and stuff, you know. So um, they kind of have their priorities back there. And that's, you know, that by itself is a curse. But what happens again is that now this person comes to you and they're a member of the church and you know, I'm not privileged to know who's paying tithe and who's not paying tithe. I don't have a clue about that. But they come in and they want this help. And so here they, you know, haven't been returning tithe and offering, haven't been supporting the church faithfully, even in their talents, not going out to help anybody else, not reaching out to anybody else, just basically living to themselves and knowing that the church would give me money if I need it. So then there's other people who may have a very legitimate cause and who is faithful people in the church sacrificing a lot and they fall ill and sick. And then the money may not be there because you have people drawing from the account who's not putting in the account in any way, time, talent, temple, not taking care of their bodies or treasure, you know, not doing anything to help, but feel very, they, they'll never be like you, Pessy. They'll never say, I will do the best I can before I go to the church. They won't do that. 
That's the church is an extension of their bank account. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that. Um, um, also, one of the other things that they were dealing with with the church in Wright City um, was the question of dress reform. And we've read several chapters in this volume one uh, on her views on he- uh, dress reform. And so apparently, yeah. you know, there had been, I guess, some question or, or something uh, regarding the dress question. But she said that as a result of them being there, the church became more fully settled on hearing them once they heard the matter explained. And so she said that the health and the dress reform were adopted, which basically in the chapters that we read before, she pretty much tied uh, the dress to health. A lot of things she was saying, you know, should not be worn or should be worn were for health reasons. And um, so evidently, you know, once they explained, once they explained this more fully to the church, then it was better accepted and adopted. Mm-hmm. And she says also a large amount of money was raised for the health institute. So, um, and we know that in prior chapters, talking about the health institute and how it should grow little by little and not, and they not uh, overreach and then start a big, big, big project that they may not be able to finish. Uh, any comments on and that? And you know, one thing I like what she said when the matter was explained. And mm-hmm. if you, and, and, and with her and her husband, when you explain it to people, they have a better understanding and they're more willing to say, now I see why this is, why this was done and why it's being done. But if you don't explain it to them, and especially back in those days, would you imagine as women today, if we had to, to help to put them big old skirts on and those things were heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, and the, and the, I guess the onus of fashion was on the women, <laughs> more so than on the men, I think. Men just wore black suits and white shirts. Mm-hmm. My father used to have one of those preacher suits. <laughs> those black, one of those black suits that looked like a preacher suit. Um, okay, let's move on down to the next uh, paragraph. And in this par- uh, paragraph 572.1, uh, Christine, if you're following, we're in chapter 102 of Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1. Yes. Uh, I'm- okay. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. And so what's she talking about in this next paragraph? Anybody? What paragraph are we again? Five, wait a minute, 572.1. 572. Oh, okay. Okay, I think she starts off talking about wealthy brothers that were in the state of New York. And I guess there must have been, uh, as I read it, they, there was some con- contradicting opinions and advice to given to the church. And uh, I guess her and her husband had to deal with, you know, trying to, to let them understand, you know, this is what is taking place. But I guess maybe the, the wealthier brothers may, may have 
not wanted to, to hear every word and may had an opinion of their own. Yeah, and it seems like this one brother, he was just creating commotion back at Battle Creek and talking about them and, and saying that, you know, again, that uh, brother uh, White should not be out in his illness and he should not be doing anything in his illness. And so basically he used his influence uh, to set the church back for how many weeks? <laughs> at least, they said at least two weeks. Right, right. And so this person was talking about them, talking about their wrongness for what they were doing, evidently. And that, you know, her husband should be back at home in the bed and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Who they think they are. I'm just, I'm just thinking up what some of the things he might have been saying. Who do they think they are? They're out trying to give instruction when instruction should be given to them and they need to be at home. And he let this woman run his house and all this stuff. Just all kind of foolishness probably coming from him. And but I like how she put it, though. If she put it, I, I say this, that unconsecrated persons may be aware how they, they are blind, unfeeling state castes and influence in an hour which may take the worn saints of the Lord weeks to counteract. Mm -hmm. well, yep. That is something we have to really be aware of and make sure that we aren't the person who does that, you know, like I've been, you know, working in a meeting and everything is going really good and people are just very, you know, cooperative and, oh, no, you go next, no, you go next. Yeah, that's a good idea. All that's going on, right? And then we're making decisions, decisions are being made, things is getting done, and here comes one. Here comes a person, tired of meeting up. And like she says, you know, the progress that was being made with this person coming in with all of this um, controversy, going against and, and, and kind of remaking, reshaping everything that had already been done and undoing work that now, you know, eating away time because time is bearing down to get things completed. Now, you know, you're, you just get into a place where it's all confusion and stuff. And but, so we have to be really mindful of ourselves that we don't be, that, that's, that we're not the one. We have to pray before we get in meetings, you know, um, really try to watch our tongues and stuff because that was, it was really annoying, you know, and it was very hard to just like not turn into the person and say like, hey, before you came, we were doing fine. You know, it would be okay if you don't come back. I didn't say that, but you know, it's really hard to just be, you know, as Christ-like as you possibly can, you know, and um, and working with people. So that is something I think is happens more than we ever believe. Work is being done. The Lord is in the work. Everything's decisions are being made. Actions are being taken. And here comes one. And this person usually do have some standard or status in the church so that everybody won't look to them. And now, you know, it's like all we like see go astray because now, you know, each man in his own way because we're all confused because the person brought confusion into the situation. Absolutely. Especially, uh, especially when you're doing Bible work and you mm -hmm. got a person that you're working with, with Bible studies, and then you get that one person that says something opposite to what you've been doing in the Bible studies. And then they say, but you know, sister so-and-so said this and I always, you know, say, let's, you know, let's, let's look at it from the, from, from the word of God that, you know, you learned in your Bible studies, but it's hard when, you know, they do, 
they do say something and you're in the middle of a Bible study and you're like, this is not what the word of God says, but because they may have a, a position in the church and they may be called deaconess or deacon or whatever, it kind of throws that person to like, wait a minute, you're only giving me Bible studies, but they have a title and they got a position in the church. Mm-hmm. And then that, and that's very true. And then the person is thrown into, you know, uh, chaos or confusion, which is what Satan wants them to do. Or the person may reason they don't have their stuff together. One person saying one thing, another person saying another thing. And then my last thing about that, too, is the person who's saying something ain't giving no Bible studies. Because if they were giving Bible studies, they'd be busy talking to their Bible studies people and not bothering (laughs) somebody else's. Absolutely. I agree. I agree, Lakita. You know they're not doing no work in the church. You know People sit back yeah. Yeah, you know, complaining and blah, 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 you know, and so oh the mics don't work. Oh, I saw the, the line of the, the electrical line wire should not be seen by church members on the Sabbath. And, and oh, oh, it's just too much. Shut up. You know, because if does you go right to the person and say, Hey, you know, I had a person tell me they were not getting involved with no stewardship mess. I said, what's, what's messy about stewardship? You and your husband are not members of Tabernacle Praise. I said, that's why I was calling you to see if you would come on board. I am not. I said, um, so you could be the director since we're not members and we can just work up under you. I don't care. You know, I will not touch that mess. But you ain't doing nothing. Somebody got to do it. You're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, that's a... That, that is a profound, normal behavior in the church. We just have to be careful that we're not the one bringing the chaos. You always got to remember. Amen. Always got to remember, haters going to hate. Yeah, they Regardless hate. of what you do, somebody's going to hate it. And that's okay. It must mean you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you go on in this paragraph, she said it took about two weeks more. Of the most wearing labor, with the blessings of God, we were able to remove this wrong influence and give them, dear people, full proof that God has sent us to them. So it's 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 like you know they had to make sure that you know the people understood that that we you know we just didn't make this stuff up for ourselves. We're here to be a part of you to lead you into the Word of God. Mm -hmm. to the truth and to help you uh it makes me think about the apostle paul and how he went around to the churches and tried to strengthen the churches based on uh the word that he got from the lord and that's what the that's what brother and sister white were trying to do i also think about the fact that you can't tell everybody your plans because when you do that that leaves room for the devil to step in through, through certain people. You know, I think about Abraham and Isaac and Abraham never told Sarah what his intention was when he went up on the mountain with Isaac. He better because not. She ain't playing with him. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes you just have to hear the voice of the Lord and obey. Mm-hmm. Um, and only bring those people into your confidence that, that the Lord, you know, opens the door for, you know, and other people now, they're still maybe maybe going to be haters just because you start doing something and they're not doing it. And so, like you said, Lakita, in your situation, she didn't want to do it, but she didn't want you to do it. But that was that was the state of the 
the scribes and Pharisees and the Lord and the Lord criticized them saying, you don't want to do it, but you don't, but and you prevent other people from doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And you know, so that's nothing but the work of Satan right there. Yeah. And we just have to be careful, you know, that we're not the person, like I said, bringing the chaos. And we, you know, thinking, oh, okay, I'm doing the right thing. And we up here undoing everything the pastor have done, right? So mm -hmm. we have to be very, very careful, you know, that we don't undo what the, you know, what the audio people say or what the Bible worker is saying, you know, learn to stay in our own little lane and not mm -hmm. get caught up in other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. So she says that as a result of their labors there in Wright City, how many people were baptized? Seven. Seven. And then she says, and then two, and, and then her husband did two in July. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's that shows that God was in the work and that uh, you know, God was blessing them not only through his through her husband's health getting better, but also, you know, because people turn to the Lord, you know, and I don't think, and you know, I want to make a comment also. I, I did not know until I, you know, like I said, when I got this, this new packet, I just started reading. I couldn't put this down because I never heard any church members ever talk about Ellen White and her husband had, you know, had some difficulties. I always thought, you know, that they were smooth selling and when I started reading this, I was like, they had the same type of, I don't want to say conflict, same type of, I guess, crucible. But I never thought they had any to the point that they had to make people understand that and, and be able to, I don't want to say defend themselves, but let them know that we are, we are not stepping on anything, but we're doing what thus said the Lord. I never thought they had any hard times like that. And I guess, you know, I should have, you know, should have been reading before, you know, some week when I got baptized about Ellen White more than I did. But I just never knew they had these kind of, you know, things that arose in them, even though they were human. You know what, Patsy, there was a um, story, too, about I like to read some of the letters, letters that she wrote to people. There was this ongoing problem. I forgot the name of this lady. Well, she was an editor for Sister White. And so she was beginning to tell people that Sister White really wasn't writing that stuff, that she herself was writing that stuff. <laughs> uh -huh. so, yeah, so Sister uh -huh. White, you know, they had separated, you know, separated, but then Sister White took her back in. <laughs> and she continued uh -huh. on with this all the way up, really, until her death. At some point, I do think they, they broke apart. If I get the name of it, I'll send it to you. But it was, she, yeah. People were like, they didn't believe her. And this one was like, I write this stuff. She, her writing is so gibberish like a kid's. And, you know, I'm the one who do this and that and stuff. And so, and she was telling um, some other people, like young people who was working with them that, that it wasn't Sister White. These was her words. <laughs> oh, mercy. Satan will go at no extent to try to keep the word from us getting it, hey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things about, and this was, you know, back when they were just getting getting organized and getting going and stuff, whenever you try and start something, uh, whatever it is, an organization or a project or move out in some sort of plan, it's always going to be some detractors who think they know better than you about mm -hmm. what should happen. Mm -hmm. And as Lakita pointed out, they won't be doing anything. But as soon as you start moving mm -hmm. forward, 
they got plenty to say about how you ain't right. You don't know what you're doing and I should be leading. It's just part of the devil's trick. And, you know, again, we have to look to the Lord for direction and how we should respond. But one thing's for sure is to keep moving forward. Like uh, Ellen White and her husband, they went through a lot. When you talk about sacrifices, you should read about what some of the early Adventist pioneers went through. And just this past week, we were up in that neighborhood where she was born and where a lot of the early pioneers began their work. And we, we didn't unfortunately get a chance to stop by and visit any historic sites. But they went through a lot, a lot more than what we go through today. Mm. And yeah. see, I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not smooth sailing. I mean, you know, in, in the this book, we read about her. A child died in, in as an infant. Another one died as, the, you know, like a teenager, a young teenager. Mm-hmm. She's had some really, really hard um, things to happen in her life. Right. And actually, she wrote the conflict series while she was an invalid in bed herself. Mm-hmm. And she was. Wow. Stop. But the angel oh of the Lord God. told her to keep writing. And so. it all began with getting hit in the face with a brick. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, man, the Lord don't like her. That's not necessarily true. When bad things happen to you, that doesn't mean it's the curse of God. Mm-hmm. It just might be the devil trying to stop you. And right. also, too, also, that's proof to us that she was not doing this by herself because the woman couldn't even put paper to pen. She never was able to think yeah. straight after that, you know. And stuff. Right. I think she only went through the fourth grade. Right. Yeah, she had to drop out of school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all these words. And, you know, like when you read stuff, she says stuff and it sounds so logical to you. But when you really think about it, like, it's logical to us now because like uh, like Karen said, the insurance company ain't gonna pay for us to be in bed not one extra hour than we need to be, you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, they get you up and send you home. <laughs> so she, you know, with that in mind, it was uh, just wisdom, you know, like that she would get her husband who was so sick, get up out the bed, brother, get on up and do something because you can't just be laying around all the time. Mm-hmm. she didn't say it like that yeah, she, there's no way she had that wisdom Mm-mm. in and of herself Mm-mm. after Mm-mm. all that they went through so much sometimes when you read about it you know you're wondering how in the world could they keep going this is like man it's like the hand of God's against you but that's not again that's not always true and then when y'all look at her life and, and climb up the ladder look at Jesus life how they, they sacrifice how they just you know, worked and worked and worked to um, to bring the people to Christ and to bring a word to them. You know, and that tireless effort that they out that great concern for others. I really would like to have vet uh, myself more of that from um, you know about other people. Just be more concerned, more caring. Yeah, when you read, I mean, you read the stories of the old pioneers. That's sacrifice. I mean, these people was selling their houses because they believed Christ was coming and they would go without food, you know, to help others or to print up uh, books to send out to people about Jesus. That was real sacrifice. Now, you know, it's hard to get people to do anything. Right. That's so true. That's so true. Hmm. And you just think about it and think that in this, this chapter that we're reading, even though her husband was still very frail, 
and very ill, they just made the decision to just get up and get going and start back on the Lord's work again. Doing mm -hmm. the Lord's work. And we're reading about the Apostle Paul. And I felt kind of sad for Paul. You know, here he is at the end of his days, about to be put, been in and out of jail, been beat up a bunch of times, almost dead, shipwrecked, been by a poisonous snake. All kind of stuff happened to him, all because he was serving the Lord. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you read it, you're thinking, man, that was a horrifying life. But he says himself, it was all worth it. Yeah, he said, mm -hmm. what this light affliction for the cause of God, the light affliction. Yeah, mm -hmm. sacrificial. Yeah. That's what we need. Okay, we're going to stop there for today. Um, the next time we meet, we're going to get into this dream that she had um when when oh, during this period when there was just so much coming at them from opposition coming at them and um so we're going to stop there i do want to just kind of give a quick little testimony that um yesterday i was really not feeling well at all i mean not literally was not feeling well at all and uh ended up in the bed early and um but I just prayed and I, I, and I had read this chapter and I prayed and I was like, well, am I going to go to church tomorrow or what exactly? You know, and it was all, well, it depends on how I feel and all of that. And I, and through the night, I started feeling better. Like I had been having a lot of pain in my back and in my knee that I injured a few years ago. And then just abdominal pain. And the Lord took all of that away. When I got up this morning, I didn't feel any of that. And so I'm just so thankful because I was like, well, Lord, you know, if you, if I feel better, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to, you know, go ahead and go to church. And we have a whole new system there at church. And I wanted to learn that and see that and uh, do this class this afternoon. And so it really inspired me that, you know, even though, uh, you know, even though sickness may come, just keep following the Lord and keep being determined that the devil is not going to stand in your way. And so if the Lord enables you, just get on up and, and, and do whatever it is that the Lord is, is blessing you to be able to do. So. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, any other comments before we begin to close out? If not, Lee, where are we next week? Next week in the book Christian Service. And the sub chapter is Organized for Service organized for service some of these chapters are really short a few paragraphs, so go ahead and read um several of them so we can continue to discuss okay organized for service in chapter two right right okay and passy since you like reading ahead you can like lee said just go ahead and read ahead <laughs> oh i i did i did on yours too Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but okay. it, it's good. It's good Sabbath school reading. Okay. All right, um, Lee. Do you mind giving us a closing prayer? Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for a beautiful discussion time period. We thank you so much for your words encouraging us to follow where you lead and to recognize that even though trials may come, that uh, we are all called to do our very best to serve you and to let others know about the love of Christ. Continue to be with our discipleship class. Continue to be with everyone who participates and allow others also to see a, to have a desire to learn more of you by uh, joining us in our discussion. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm gonna amen.
to the other room because I think my administrator has gone outside. So let me go and end the live stream. The administrator. <laughs> Something's wrong. What's that?